0: I've wondered, you've seen the uh, promotion on the backpacking trip, and you're wondering, who is Jeff Titchen? Well, now you know. It's <laughs> Jeff Titchen. That is the fame Justin. Yeah, there you go. So if you're interested, uh, you can uh, talk to him or contact him. Uh, by the way, uh, can I just add a little bit to Paul's uh, video? Some of you are like, well, I don't enjoy any of that stuff. Let me just add one more enjoyment. <laughs> You know, I don't, I don't want to do any of it. I'm, I'm there raising my hand with safe and unsafe things. I'm, I'm there. I, I can do a lot of things, but probably not safely. Um, this is what I would add. If you just want to be with a group of people or doing something good, right? I mean, it, it really is good to do good because it catapults us into new and exciting things, great conversations. So I, I would just add that. Thanks, Paul. Uh, for leading out on this, well, we're glad to have you here with us today. It is Father's Day, and I hope uh, those of those of you who are fathers uh, are enjoying the day in one shape or uh, one way or another. Well, we have been uh, moving through Matthew's gospel rather slowly for some of you, maybe, but rather thoroughly for others of us. Um, there are four biographies. Uh, it, of Jesus, Matthew just happens to be one of them. There are three others: Mark, Luke, and John. We often don't think about the Gospels according to right in that way, but that's exactly what they are. They're biographies of Jesus and his movement and what he did, and is really what he's doing for us. Uh, and uh, it's just an incredible thing. But in Matthew, there's just this, this incredible focus. Um, and most scholars would tell you it focus on his kingdom, and who he is, who is dwelling in his kingdom, and the behavior and movement of those who wish to dwell within it, and with him in it. I mean, and that's what we're looking at. It's just really close look, and we're specifically in the Sermon on the Mount, and we're in chapter 5, so you know that already. Last week, uh, we took a, took just a a uh, close look to consider retaliation. Didn't you like the Father's Day? If you caught the Father's Day video, just kind of a cool uh, segue. Yeah, go ahead and hit them. Dads are usually into that, you know, type of thing. You know, just ingest, uh, all that kind of stuff. But uh, just really cool. But we, when we talk about retaliation or we talk about anger, we talk about some of these things, we often think, as I said last week, that there's, there's just two responses, right? We're gonna either fight, and that can come out in many different ways, or we're gonna flight or flee, whatever word you want to use there. But Jesus is really kind of trying to move in on our hearts and trying to move us to something vastly different. Vastly different. He wants the spirit to move in and help us in these ways. Today's teaching is rather revolutionary. I don't I don't think anybody else in, in the world, has ever taught on something like this, except for Jesus. Everybody takes the cues from Jesus, but it's radical. It's radical. It's almost like, I was trying to think, how do you, how do you put this in a category? Uh, there are people that maybe you meet that are pretty radical in some of their ways, uh, but I think the first time that uh, Kathy and I strolled up on, you don't stroll up on the Grand Canyon, but you stroll up on the <laughs> Grand Canyon, right, and we looked across, and especially, somebody gave us the cues, and they said, hey, you, you have to see it at either sun up, which we didn't, or sundown, which we did. And you have to see it then. Because there's a grandeur of the Grand Canyon that is displayed in colors that you do not see in any other time. And it's just beautiful. It's just beautiful. Oh, hoping to get back. But when we take a look at Jesus and this radical teaching that he's going to just, again, deposit on our hearts and in our lives and have us wrestle through again, it is exactly that. It is so deep. It is so wide. It is multifaceted. It's, the prism of color is incredible, and if we're willing to walk into it, and this is the key, if we're willing to walk into it, we'll have a changed heart. We'll have a changed life. We'll be free. We prayed that a little bit earlier, that we truly, in the love of Jesus, we will have freedom that the world hungers for. And guess what? We can give that freedom away. And that's the beauty that Jesus calls us into. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 5. Turn to Matthew 5. Again, we're going to walk through this line by line here. He says, you have heard it, that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, again, the, Jesus is using that phrase that some of our parents are now beginning to use. Hey, you heard it said on the street, but in our house, this is how it's going to happen. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. It's like, look, you may have heard uh, Old Testament or on the street, and we'll get to that in a second, what has happened, uh, but I'm going to change this a little bit. Now, the incredible thing is we need to remember to chase everything back to what Jesus has been teaching us prior to this. And what he's trying to get us to understand is our righteousness, our right standing with God has to exceed, this is what Jesus said, has to exceed the Pharisees. I mean, that's incredible, right? I mean, it's all chasing back to that. That's what he's, he's he's giving us an outline, he's giving us illustration after illustration in these last six weeks of like, hey, this is how righteousness looks. This is how it behaves. In the kingdom, this is the way it will work. And he's working again. He's coming in, and how many of you have had physical therapy? It's lovely, isn't it? Yeah, it's exactly the right, it's exactly the same way. That's exact. when you go in and they, they, they give you, you walk out with more pain than you had, but hopefully better movement than you had before, right? That's exactly what Jesus is doing. When we walk into teaching like this, it's not comfortable. It's not, I wouldn't even say it's fun, except for the fact that discipline is good from a good father. That's exactly right. And so when we walk into this, we have to understand he's working not on your behavior because all day long we can do the right thing but be in the wrong heart posture. But we can do the right things all day long. What he desires for us as a people of God is to bring humanity, to bring the beauty of the humanity of each individual person, of each person has an image of God out in their beauty. Not to diminish it. And that is the key. That's the ethic that is compelling Jesus, this, this image of God that is in each person that's been stamped, and he wants to see it come out. We have to ask ourselves the question, when he says, and we've been doing this every week, where is, you know, when he says, you have heard that it is said, love your neighbors but hate your enemy, where is he getting that from? Well, he finds it in Leviticus 19, 18. Let's take a look at that right now. It says, do not seek seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, okay? He's dipping into last week's teaching. They actually go together nicely. We separated them on purpose because we need that. But then he says, but love your neighbor as yourself. He says, I am the Lord this natural connection to last week to this week but we have to ask the question love your neighbor and every time we come to this i think we need to go through the literal exercise as followers of jesus and if you're not a follower of jesus yet to do that exercise who's my neighbor we have to ask who is my neighbor And if we ask that question, we have to ask it in context. It's just, I'm taking you back to school, folks. You have to ask ask the question in context. So what we find in Leviticus 15 is these words. And I've highlighted a few words for you to kind of give you the, give the directional code, if you will, of what he's saying. He says, do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord, verse 17. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. rebuke, Rebuke your neighbor frankly so that you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Let me ask a question, and you can respond audibly if you'd like. This is Leviticus. This is the Old Testament. So who was God speaking to? The Israelites, right? So who would have been their neighbors? The Israelites, right? Their Jewish neighbors would have been their neighbors. That's, that's the context. When we read that, that's the context of what we're seeing there. He's saying, look, you, you need to love your neighbors, right? You need to take care of your neighbors whom you know and they do the same things that you do. They live the same ways that you do. Well, what's interesting about this is we what we find is that we just have to go a little bit further, and we find that God has the compassion for those who we might not even consider our neighbors, and he directs those that are, that are in Israel to consider, consider what they might do. In fact, he gives them directives. Moving down into Leviticus, if you have your Bible opened there, you'll find it in verses 33 and 34. It says this, But when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself. For you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So earlier in the chapter, if we only read and stop, we would go, oh, my neighbor is probably, you know, back then, my brothers and sisters, my aunts and uncles, my grandpa and grandma, and maybe those extended family because that's how their houses lived. But now God has gone, oh, wait a second. You know, anybody that moves into town, you treat them like they're your own. You treat them as if they're not foreigners at all, but they're part of the clan. They're part of the tribe. That change. I mean, we think this is a, a radical word in the New Testament, but even in the Old Testament, we often do not read it that way. We don't realize the refugee and the immigrant among us; those who don't look like us, don't eat the same foods that we do. God says, "Hey, love on them, take care of them." Now, the interesting thing about this uh, this passage in Matthew. He says, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy, right? Now, how many of you have run over, run as you've read through the Bible, you haven't run over anything, as you've read through the Bible, have you ever run across the passage, hate your enemy besides what Jesus has said was quoted? Anybody? Yeah, I don't think I have either. I don't think you'll find it in the Bible, in fact. In fact, so that's, that becomes a question. So is he changing something here? Well, the belief is, so you have a better understanding, is that there's, there were rabbis that were teaching of the day. There was an idiom that was just taught that, you know, you love your neighbors, those who are like you, but, you know, it's okay to not treat, you know, to treat people that aren't like you in a different way. Mistreating them. I mean, even if you read through the Old Testament, you'll find there are places where, Uh, people voice these words. Like in Psalm 139, right? David says this, Oh Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? For your enemies are my enemies. While we could argue that that's the case, he's voicing something that God didn't necessarily say and hate in these terminologies is, you know, those who love you less than I love you. We have to put it in context. So you'll find these strong words about those who are far from God, but you'll never read where God hates them, but that his people are called, as we are finding out, to live in a way that draws them close to him, that draws him close to him. But let's just take this a little bit deeper, back into Matthew, back into with Jesus, back with those who are... Uh, setting around his feet at the moment. Now, remember, uh, the land in which they're living was promised to them by God. It was given to them by God, and yet there seemed to be somebody occupying that has control. It's the Romans, right? We read about it last week where uh, Jesus says, look, if, if somebody Want you be to be their porter for one mile, you go two miles with them. What he's talking about is a Roman soldier who can conscript you and me, if we were living during that day, to go with them. And he's saying, well, you know, really, Lord? They're, they're not foreigners. They're invaders. They don't love us. They'll break our kneecaps. They'll kill us. Really? Is this really what you're calling us to do? What's what's an even greater sting, and we're going to get into it as we observe some stories of meals that Jesus has with people who are Israelites or Jews who are far from God. Let me name a couple that we know, Zacchaeus and Matthew. Now think about this. Jesus is calling his disciples to him, right? Right? He's got a few disciples he's called and he walks up to Matthew who happens to be uh, Levi, right? The Levi, the tax collector. And he says, come follow me. Now you, we may have kind of walked through this before, but think of this sting. Really, that traitor is going to become one of us following you, Jesus? (laughs) Zacchaeus. Talk about somebody who could Actually, Zacchaeus and Matthew, in both of these situations, or Levi, is probably more safely a way to put him could easily have constricted the Roman soldier to take you out because you didn't pay taxes. Can you imagine that? Talk about a sting. Talk about you know, violence upon violence. I mean, this, this is the stuff that the Jewish people had to live through and think about. And then pile on this. Not only were the Romans invading the land, which was oppressed, and they were oppressing, but they had lived through the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, Greece, Egypt. For half, for five or six hundred years, they had been oppressed by others inside the land that God had promised them. So for them... When Jesus says, love your neighbors, they're saying, like, who counts? Who really does it matter that is in? Who's out and who's in? I want to know. And Leviticus 19, Jesus takes Leviticus 19 and just explodes it. I mean, just blows the doors off, if you will. It's kind kind of like thinking of the Grand Canyon where, you know, however you think it was done. But let's just use this figuratively. And God just takes his finger in just one fell swoop on an easy 30 seconds and goes, and creates the canyon and the flow of water and the beauty. That's what Jesus is doing in this moment for them and for us. He's expanding love beyond borders that we, maybe some of us, have never explored. Verse 44, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who per- persecute you. Yep, Jesus is not only saying, to, you know, he, he wants us to love them. He wants us to move in and he wants us to pray for them. And I don't think he even wanted those who were sitting at his feet, thinking of Roman soldiers or people like Zacchaeus. I don't think he was asking them to pray for their demise. I think he was actually asking them to pray for their transformation for their change because of the love that is demonstrated so why should we do this why should we do this verse 45 says this that you may be children of your father in heaven i don't think it's necessarily a qualifier but what it is is when we act this way when we love our neighbors when we love love our enemies we reflect the beauty and the dimension of God that he has designed us. Not, not that he magically puts into us, but he has designed us to love in that way, and that's what he desires to see. He, he goes on. He's like, so let, let me explain this. Where do I get this? He says, he, he, God, causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, We really need to kind of ruminate on this because some of us need to reroute our theology a little bit. Let me explain. Because this is what Jesus is exactly explaining. He says, look look around to the weather. Look at what happens. He says, when you see an olive orchard, as you're walking around, and the trees are full and they're robust, the crop was full and... The sun shined when it was supposed to shine and it rained when it was supposed to rain. They got everything they needed and it all came together in a beautiful crop. I mean, it's just a beautiful thing. Yet, can I just tell you? This is what he's saying. That 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 olive orchard person, the grove or whatever they call it, I call it an orchard, this is easy for me. He says, he's evil. His scales are devious. He doesn't even pay his workers fairly. He's, me- he's mean to his wife when he comes home, and he kicks the cat, if they had cats, I don't know. <laughs> he says, "Then you drive down the road, five miles, just five miles. Right? And there's an orchard that is not doing well. It's full of cankers and has blight or whatever they have in olive orchards, right? I'm trying to make it Middle Eastern and trying to blend the two. Somebody's going to have me here. And he doesn't even have enough crop to pay his workers, but he pays them fairly. He loves his family dearly. See, that, that's the way it is with weather. Agriculture is a great, actually, theme that you can build off from. Because it has, it has, I mean, we can easily start to write into our theology that, oh, the, the guy who's doing well, the gal who's doing well, the family who's doing well, God, lo- God blessing them and loving them, but to come to find out their character is terrible, they're just ruthless. But then you, you have a guy who's not doing so well, and his family is not where he wants it to be, and he's barely able to pay his workers it's like look it rains on the just and the unjust alike it's not an issue folks you've got to stop thinking blessing is is always good and curses is i mean it's not it doesn't work that way in fact if you want a little school nobody reads this voluntarily in this way but if you want a little school in this just read the book of Job. You get to the end of Job, and you realize, wait a second, there's not an answer, right? All of his three bodies are like, you've done something evil, you've done something, I mean, and God's like, I'm just God. You just have to accept that this is the way it is. And that could be really demoralizing, except for we know that God is good, and that there will be a day someday when he will settle all scores. He will reconcile what is wrong as he sees fit, as he sees fit. Not only does he watch the weather, but he, Jesus, this is kind of strange to say, but he's a student of Scripture. (laughs) This is strange. We can get into it later, but, but Psalm 145, right? It says this, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all; He has compassion on all He has made. Oh, God is good, and this is what this is what Jesus said: is God is good. The eyes of all who look to you and give them, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, satisfying the desires of every living thing. The Lord is just in all His ways and kind in all His doing. I mean, what, what Jesus is trying to tell us in this moment about loving your neighbor and loving your enemies is that God is generous both on the just and the unjust light. That in these moments, while we may think that they're vastly unjust, he is generously gracious to us. His love is overflowing even in those tough moments. <laughs> That he wants you to recognize this. And like I said, there will be a moment when he will reconcile all accounts. But that time yet has to come. And we see this over and over again. I, I, I just want to give you a little, little tidbit into what's going to be, what we're going to be exploring starting on the 4th of July and following. Just this whole idea of hospitality. And who Jesus invites to his table is not generally who we invite to our tables. And when I say table, I don't mean it literally. It can be literal, but it's more this idea of metaphorically. Who does he invite? And We've already commented on two, Matthew and Zacchaeus, right? And Matthew and Zacchaeus. So you want to be in, in that series. It's just a simple, generous welcome to all who are receptive to him. So we have this word that Jesus uses, and he uses it over and over and over again, and we need to continually rewrite this word. The word is love, because love in English, in in the English language, is unclear and desperately unhelpful. Can I just tell you that? So how many of you love pizza? Yeah, come on. Yeah, sure. Pasta? Okay, maybe not so steak. I mean, we could just go on. Your car, you got your car. Oh, I love my car. Right? Beaches, forests, all of these things. But I mean here. I mean, look, I love my wife. I love my kids. I love bread. I do. You can have a good piece of bread, you know it. Oh, man. Something like it and a great cup of coffee, right? I mean, I love a lot of things, but it's not the same, right? One, I have just this loyalty and affection for. The other one is just, I like it. I like it a lot. Love is just kind of this word that gets lost when we read it in these moments. And that's my point. Right? I mean, we just, it just loses its, its traction in this moment. But what we have to understand is that Jesus is introducing us to a word that we need to grasp. We need to understand, and we need to to get it as a part of our blood flow of our system, of our life flow, if you will. The word is love. His word is love, but it's agape. It's agape. And what we see here, and what he's introducing to us is this, that it's an attitude and a mindset that creates an action that flows from that mindset of God's generosity. It's an Act, attitude and an action flowing from the mindset of God's generosity. So, God's, so Jesus is introduced to us, look God, God is generous in this moment. It rains on the just and the unjust alike. It is good. God is so generous to us. All of us. And it's out of this grand generosity, out of this grand kindness that he has shown to us, that he wishes for us to not feel in the moment, but really act in the moment just like we sang about a few moments ago right he wants us to step into the moments that we're given and act rightly we have to choose with our whole being so what about that that enemy that has wronged you i mean we, we could just if we can for the moment because this is what was happening for them in the moment i mean they were being oppressed and jesus was saying love that guy or yeah, it would have been a guy at that point, I'm just, just the way it is, that Roman soldier who is asking you to go one mile, and you go with him too, and not just endure it, not just passively do it, but to step into that. Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, when you stepped up to that, that table, and you told him, I can't pay your taxes, and he stands on the table, and he backhands you. And he's one of yours. He's one of mine. Jesus is not asking you to feel warm fuzzies for your enemies. But what he is saying to you is you have a choice. You have a choice to act like my heavenly father who is gracious to all. And to step into this moment to love those who you don't love. And guess what? You may think it's only that way, but it's the other way too. They probably don't love you either. They probably don't love you either. It's true. There are certain things that we love that we have just automatic feelings for. We just love them automatically because they are lovely, because we have warmed in our affection for them and to them. But there are some moments... In fact, there are probably more of these than there are of the others, to be really honest. If we really, truly want to live out love, that we have to choose to love, to do the right thing in the right moment for that person to consider the other, to face the situation. He goes on. He says this, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? It's true, right? You love them and they, oh, yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it's warm, it's good, it's right? Are not the tax he even pulls this in, well, are not even the tax collectors doing that. You're like, look, he, they're good to you if you're good to them, right? They'll take care of you. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Keep in concern for your own. That's why Paul's, Paul's opportunity, it's not only to serve people inside our church. You realize that. The property care, our desire is to see ourselves moving into our neighborhoods and seeing things that need to be done and changed and transformed and stepping in where, well, we just want to love in an agape-type love and a choice-type love and an opportunity to step into that. I think one of the things that he... Jesus is also pointing out here is it's, it's, it's easier for us to, to love those we love when we're in group, when we have groupthink. That's why social media is so very dangerous, by the way. Right? So we love those who love us as a group, and we hate those even more viciously, more violently in group that we don't like, we band together to gang up on. But if you were, and I said this a few weeks ago, if you were to sit down with somebody who has opposite thought patterns from you, ideologies, across from a table and have a meal with them, you probably wouldn't be as mean as you are on social media or with your friends talking about them. You just wouldn't. There's something there that we need to grab a hold of. And I think Jesus is compelling us to grab a hold of it and saying, look, look, this thing about love, it's not about feelings. It's about a choice to do the right thing in the right place at the right time for those people that you are far from and they're far from you. Because we're continually self-centered and self-preserving in the ways that we work and the ways that we move. We tend to walk towards people who will give us a kickback, Whatever that kickback will be. And that's good. That's fine. But we need to be willing to step into those who will not. We work diligently on behalf of others. He leaves us with this last word. And we're going to have to cut this one short to get to the end. But he says, be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Now, just quickly, just quickly, though. This idea of be perfect is vastly different than what we might think, or we might, that might go in our heads. And maybe we already know this, but it comes from the word teleos there in the Greek, and it really just means mature. It really means this idea of mature, that we will grow to the, to the, the breadth of love, if you will. Let's just leave it at that this morning. If you want to go somewhere where I think it's been expounded on John chapter first uh, John you can read all three of them as far as I'm concerned and you will understand what John understood about Jesus and where I think potentially G, where John got it from Jesus himself and in these teachings that we are to step in now let, let me try to try to click into something that may register with you have, have there been moments when you've done something and it's not for a kickback. It's not for uh, just something that you desire, but you've done something, and then afterwards you went, oh, that felt so good. to give, to do, to be in those places and those spaces. I, I think those are moments that we've all had from time to time, and we want to connect them more and more, right, that Jesus is wanting us to live into. He's desiring us to live into those those places where we we just continually do the right thing for the right reasons. We're not looking for our self-preservation for just about us, but we do it for the right place and for the right reason. This is the last of these six in the series of Jesus trying to reorient, reorient ourselves towards what righteousness, what goodness in the kingdom of God looks like to the world around us, to one another, even to ourselves. It's one of these places where we could go away for a month, I think, and just kind of just pursue it with God in silence, in conversation, and how does this look in these moments? And maybe that's a good exercise. But for today, but for today, our next steps are this. I want to ask you this question as we think about it. On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being high in this case and 1 being low, what number would you give your agape loving? So what is your quotient of agape love? What is your quotient? Where would you say you're at? What's the Holy Spirit telling you in this moment? Because I believe the Spirit's giving giving us a number to help us move to the next step, the next level in our ability to love like the Father loves us. You can write this down later, but what will help you to take you to the next level? That's what, 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 will, what will shift you to moving into a father-type love, this generous, kind, giving, doing the right thing in the right place at the right time, even for those who are enemies. The other is even as we've been talking, maybe this last week, the Holy Spirit has shown you, you've, you've uh there's you know the holy spirit's revealing something to you about this maybe where you haven't shown love where you've been deliberate you've you've held a grudge just like leviticus 18, 19, 18 starts you know don't hold a grudge and you're holding a grudge what is it that the lord is showing you this morning or maybe he's showing you where you can give your love and so the next question is this. Who, with whom will you be able to agape love this week? Now, we have seven days. You know uh, some of the people you're going to encounter. And you know that some of those people aren't people that you love. And you have a tendency to hold back. But I think what God and what Jesus is telling us is that we need to give up give out freely what he desires us to give. Let's take a few moments and pray, thanking God for these moments. Well, Father, I I thank you. These aren't comfortable teachings. You never promised that they would be. But I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would move us as a people who follow Jesus together, both in gatherings and in scatterings. That we would be people who would choose love no matter what. Even when there, is, when there are no warm fuzzies when there's no kickback, when there's nothing that takes care of me but really just takes care of the other person, the other group, that group of people in a way that demonstrates love. Father, you have demonstrated that to us. We are so grateful for while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for. There's no greater love. Father, I truly believe that you're generous to people whom their behavior offends you. Yet you're generous to them. So Lord, I pray that we would follow in that pattern of being generous, kind, and giving. Reminding us that you're a good father who has taken care of us. With a great love that took your son to the cross. Lord, we want to be people who live out love with intention, not to the, only to those who give to us, but to those who may even take from us. That they may be transformative moments and opportunities to change the world in which we live. That's what you have called us to do and to be for you. So I thank you. I thank you for this teaching, these moments. Lord, allow us the opportunity. Give Give us the wherewithal to rely on your spirit to give agape love this week. For your name and for your fame, we pray. Amen.